This is an ABC News special, Chaos at the Capitol. Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. They brought out a woman on a stretcher, rushed her inside. All individuals must leave the U.S. Capitol What happened yesterday is textbook terrorism. As a country, we are better than this. What we witnessed yesterday was not dissent, it was not disorder, it was not protest, it was chaos. From ABC News headquarters, here is correspondent Aaron Katursky. In a nation riven by partisanship, angry about inequality, scared by a deadly plague, American insurgents stormed the Capitol. The results we now know were both shocking and in a way reaffirming. Part of the transfer of power was decidedly not peaceful, but the frayed fabric of the United States held. Within hours of the chaos, order was restored, Congress was back at work, and the succession of Joe Biden cemented into law. Beyond the shocking failure, it's a little hard to capture how the nation feels tonight. But that's where we start. Americans watched in horror as an angry mob besieged the United States Capitol, smashing windows, looting historical objects, spraying officers with chemical agents. These were rioters, insurrectionists, goons, thugs, domestic terrorists. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer called it an insurrection incited by President Trump. And while the halls of Congress were cleaned, questions swirled. The Congress must create a nonpartisan commission to understand the catastrophic security failures that happened at the Capitol. In fact, the investigation Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser called for was already announced by the congressmen who oversee the Capitol Police, a force outnumbered and unprepared. President-elect Joe Biden saw a double standard. No one can tell me that if had been a group of Black Lives Matter protesting yesterday, there wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been treated very, very differently than the mob of thugs that stormed the Capitol. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham expressed a similar sentiment. Black Lives Matter protest, have you seen the images on the Capitol steps where we had National Guard members in riot gear? Why weren't you as prepared this time around. It took several hours and assistance from other agencies to restore order. A mutual aid system was activated January 6th for the first time since September 11th. A woman identified as Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed as she tried to breach the doors of the House. Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen was there and said the officer had no choice. His actions will may be judged in a lot of different ways moving forward, but uh, uh, his actions, I believe, saved people's lives even more uh, unfortunately, it did take one, though. Capitol Police made 14 arrests. The Washington, D.C. Metro Police made dozens more for violating curfew, and federal prosecutors drew up charges against 55 rioters. They said a large amount of material was stolen from the Capitol that investigators are still working to take stock of. Two pipe bombs were found. A band of people who are terrorists, not patriots, literally occupied the floor of the House, drove the Senate out of its chamber, and the question for the country is, how could that happen 20 years after 9-11? In fact, we're going to put the question from Senator Lindsey Graham there to ABC's Jack Date, who covers the Justice Department and law enforcement in Washington. First, though, Jack, we, we've learned in the last few moments the chief of the Capitol Police is on his way out. That's right, Aaron. Uh, chief, uh, uh, chief Stephen Sund, the chief of the Capitol Police, uh, is, is resigning. He's going to leave. 
uh, as of January 16th. Uh, it was pretty clear today that uh, you know Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, uh, wanted him gone, wanted a change in leadership. Uh, clearly, there needs to be accountability for what happened on and, on Wednesday. And how how did it happen? To to, to Senator Graham's question. Well, cl- there appeared to be a, a real breakdown in planning and preparedness for this event. Uh, it appears that uh, whatever intelligence was available uh, wasn't processed in a way that made them prepared for the, the threat of violence, or they discounted it for some reason. And and unpacking that is going to be a really important part of this after action that they're uh, going to have to do. Was it a misreading of intelligence? Was it complacency? Was it deliberate? Well, look, the, the idea that demonstrators were going to come to the Capitol was openly telegraphed. There was no secret about it. It's not, it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody that a large number of people were going to mass along the west front of the Capitol. Uh, you know, the president himself pointed to it and said, hey, go to the Capitol. And he'd been encouraging this. Members of Congress had been encouraging it. And, you know, talk of violence had been in the air. It had been in social media. And so uh, it's not like that shouldn't have been acknowledged and understood by law enforcement. It you know, in my view, it's not a failure of imagination so much as it's a failure to see stuff that's right in front of you. Jack, tonight authorities seem to be pouring through photos and videos uh, trying to identify everybody involved. Uh, we can expect more arrests then? Absolutely. Uh, authorities, federal authorities are, are looking for these people wherever they go, and they will chase them all over the United States to try to track down uh, these people uh, in their home states and bring them to justice. So <clears throat> pictures have been distributed uh, uh, throughout law enforcement in the D.C. area, but also nationally. And if these people travel to other states, uh, people are going to be looking for them and uh, tracking them down. And some of these people, frankly, may be already known to law enforcement in their communities. And so uh, it may be just a matter of time before a lot more people are brought to account for this. Yeah, I was struck by a number of statements received today from U.S. attorneys' offices around the country saying if they could connect any dots to local communities, uh, there would be prosecutions. ABC's Jack Date, who covers law enforcement in Washington, D.C., and the Justice Department. Uh, Dr. Leah wright Rigur, an ABC News contributor from Harvard, is, is with us now. And I wanted to ask you about the, the comparison that, that President-elect Biden drew along with Senator Graham uh, about the different posture of police yesterday and the posture from over the summer. How are we to read that? Well, I think both men are right. Pre- you know, President-elect Biden and Senator Lindsey Graham, which is that there is a double standard in the way that police treat black protesters, and in this case, white, you know, seditionists and insurrectionists. And in, in part, I think a lot of this comes down to how we are conditioned to view people, particularly black people, as threats, right? And this is a long history dating back to the end, uh, to the end of slavery and the, uh, the, the uh, uh, reconstruction period and segregation. But I think part of what we're seeing too here is that there was a very conscious decision on the part of police, the Capitol Police in this case, to actually not take the threat of these protesters seriously. They said, hey, these are a group of people just coming to the Capitol, exercising their rights. Whereas when we see uh, black protesters are doing the exact same thing, they are treated as a threat. They are treated as a danger. In fact, there is a level of over-preparedness 
right? So I think about those moments where we saw people being tear gassed in front of the White House, where we saw, you know, the moment where Donald Trump walks over and has this kind of photo op in front of the church with the Bible, and people are being tear gassed all around him, and there is excessive use of force. We see excessive use of force in protests across the country, in part because there's this idea that these protesters are dangerous, that they are hostile, that they are a threat to our nation, to our property, and to America. But what we then see is that the threat that actually is real, very real from these people in Washington who came to Washington, D.C. yesterday was not taken seriously at all. It was completely blown off until it escalated to the point where there was no return. And I think it says something very, very dark, very alarming and very disturbing about the way that police in this country police black bodies, police brown bodies and police white bodies. Very different. Uh, Dr. Leah wright Regura is with us from Harvard University. Stay close, uh, if you would. We want to come back to this. Uh, tonight, Representative Zoe Lofgren, the, the Democratic chairwoman of the House Administration Committee, said she's going to be leading the bipartisan House and Senate investigation into the security lapses at the Capitol. She said she was assured that they had everything under control. We know now that was not the case. Tonight, the head of the U.S. Capitol Police said he will resign effective January 16th following the breach of the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob that desecrated the seat of American democracy. Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina had been a member of Congress when all of this unfolded for what, about 100 hours? Congresswoman Mace is with us now. Could you have imagined this would be your first introduction to your new job? I could never imagine that my first 100 hours on the job as a member of Congress, that this would be the challenge that we would be facing. I just found out a few minutes ago uh, in the news that uh, it's been confirmed that a Capitol Police officer has now died from the riots uh, that happened last night. That makes five deaths. From these riots, these were not protests. These are riots. This was this was anarchy on our capital. Uh, and and who, what are your constituents saying about all of this? Uh, and, and and what are they, you know, tweeting at you or telling you? Um, well, but previous to January sixth, previous to yesterday, I, I was receiving a lot of very negative feedback because I. Uh, stated last week that I would certify the Electoral College uh, votes yesterday. It's a largely January 6th uh, during a after a presidential election. This vote is a, usually a very ceremonial vote. This is an administrative procedure, um, and uh, the Constitution dictates that the states have the right to send their electors to Congress. And when there's not a contested election on the Electoral College slate, Congress has a duty by the Constitution to certify the election. And that's what we were asked to do. That was our, what our oath to the Constitution required us to do. And uh, some folks are very upset. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what is written in the Constitution. People don't want to, certain people don't want to hear the truth. And I promised my constituents I would tell the truth always. But I will tell you, there was a change in sentiment today from the calls that we were we were getting. Um, I, I believe that the temperature of folks, that there has been a current change um, in the reaction from people today, seeing the image and the images and the violence on TV. Um, I've been very strong with in my convictions in the last 24 hours, trying to let as many people know as possible that they've been fleeced. Uh, millions of Americans were lied to. They were told that the vice president could overturn the Electoral College on a whim. They were told that Congress could upturn the overturn the Electoral College by a simple objection. I mean, that's just not the way this process works. And thank God we have the founding fathers who put our, our Constitution 
together in such a way where we have checks and balances on the institution, on our elections. Um, there's no way that you can adjudicate voter fraud in an hour-long debate on the floor of the U.S. House during a ceremonial vote. And, and millions of Americans were, were misled, and they were fleeced. They were taken advantage of, their hearts, their minds, and their wallets. Um, the amount of money that was raised on voter fraud, uh, half a billion dollars, and 10 million of it spent really fighting voter fraud. Uh, money was raised to put in campaign coffers, put in super PACs, and not really do a damn thing to fight voter fraud that's out there. Fraud is in every election. And we may find out a year from now that there was more fraud in this election than any other, but we have to be given the time, the resources through the proper channels to look at what may or may not have happened. Um, it's very distressing. It was heartbreaking. It was a sad day for America. Do, do you blame President Trump? I do. I do. And and I woke up this morning in, in tears. And, and I'm someone who worked for the president. I helped get him elected. I was one of his first hires in 2015 for his presidential election. I I liked the, the rawness, the authenticity I was hearing. I liked how he wanted to fight for the working working American, hardworking American. I come from the place where where you, you where you work hard, and if you work hard, you're successful. I'm a high school dropout. My first job was as a waitress at a Waffle House on the side of the interstate. Um, I went from the Waffle House to the U.S. House. I am the American dream. That kind of messaging resonates with me as just a human being. Um, but the last eight weeks, seeing the rhetoric ramp up, um, I'm a single mom. I brought my kids up for the swearing-in on Sunday. Um, but seeing the, the rhetoric ramp up over the last week or so, Sunday night, I bought a, a one-way ticket home for my children. And I said, you can't stay here. They were going to stay for my first week in office during virtual school. And I put them on the first flight home on Monday because I was worried about what might transpire at the rally yesterday. And my worst fears came true. Uh, we just heard the Wall Street Journal editorial board called on President Trump to resign. Do you agree? I'm not going to go that far tonight. I uh, I am I, I just heard the news about the Capitol police officer mm. passing away. I am I am further angered by what has happened by the lies that the American people were told. I'm going to dig in my heels further and always tell the truth uh, to my constituents, to the state of South Carolina, to the American people. This is a travesty. I am devastated. Um, I'm heartbroken. And uh, I'm just really glad that that my mother's intuition to get my kids out of town was the right one. Being hunkered down in the first hundred hours in my office in lockdown, lights out, doors locked, being quiet, the, the shades drawn, and all we could hear for hours and hours and hours yesterday afternoon were sirens. What a and harrowing. I cannot explain how terrifying this experience was for uh, me, for my staff, for everybody on Capitol Hill. Uh, an incredible, harrowing start to your congressional career, Congresswoman. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, a Republican freshman from South Carolina on the first hundred hours of her tenure in Congress. And I want to bring in ABC News White House correspondent Karen Travers, uh, because as you heard from Congressman Congresswoman Mace saying she, she has broken with the president after the rhetoric she's heard from him in the last eight weeks, there's been a real reckoning uh, among Republicans because of what's gone on. 
Absolutely. Uh, and it started yesterday. You know, Mitt Romney, who certainly has been a critic of the president's uh, over the last year or so, uh, he was very strongly pointing the finger at the president yesterday. And you saw other lawmakers do that over the course of the day. Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, the number three in the House and the daughter of the former vice president. Then today we started seeing former Trump senior officials come out, including his former chief of staff, John Kelly, who says he would vote to remove his old boss if he were still in the cabinet and there was a conversation about the 25th Amendment and removing the president from his duties. The former Attorney General William Barr, who was still in that position uh, just uh, two weeks ago, he said that orchestrating a mob to pressure Congress is inexcusable and said the president's conduct yesterday was a betrayal of his office and supporters. And, you know, th there are others who came out, uh, Aaron, with very similar statements. And that is so striking that we didn't see this for nearly four years. And now with 13 days left in the administration, suddenly everybody feels very boldened uh, to be able to come out and say, I disagree. He did something wrong and this should not be accepted. But there are a lot of critics who say, where were some of these people and some of the more controversial things the president did over the past four and a half years? But certainly yesterday at the Capitol, that was a tipping point for many. ABC News White House correspondent Karen Travers. Karen, I know the president has just come out with a new videotaped message. We're going to let you digest that for a minute, and we'll, we'll hear from you on that uh, in a bit. I want to turn to Steve Roberts, the ABC News political analyst. Uh, Steve, as you heard from Karen and, and from Congresswoman Mace, uh, there's been a real uh, hit to the president's reputation and legacy. How deep does it go? Very deep. Uh, look, let's remember there's still uh, millions of Americans who support this president. He got 74 million votes. But uh, the images of yesterday have immediately become iconic. These will be in history books many years from now, and they will be the single most vi vivid, the single most indelible image of Trump's entire four years in office. And um, his uh, legacy has been severely diminished. Um, I think going forward, he will still be a, a, an important political figure, but, but not nearly as powerful as he might have been. Among other things, any talk of him running again in 2024, I think, is over. I just think that it's, he has lost so much credibility with Republicans like Nancy May. She's a freshman who worked for him. She's a Republican. By the way, the first woman ever to graduate from the Citadel, uh, she's a tough lady <laughs> and um, and a very impressive new member of Congress. And um, uh, she is reflecting a very widespread feeling in Republican ranks that the era of Donald Trump is over. ABC News political analyst Steve Roberts. The president has just issued a videotaped message. We're going to play it for you and we'll hear from our White House correspondent Karen Travers. We're also going to get uh, more into the, the failures of law enforcement and look at some of the characters of this demonstration. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. 
As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. People who disappear without a trace. The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. You're listening to an ABC News special, Chaos at the Capitol. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky. Tonight, President Trump is effectively conceding to President-elect Joe Biden the closest he has come anyway in a just-released videotaped message. I'd like to begin by addressing the heinous attack on the United States Capitol. Like all Americans, I am outraged by the violence, lawlessness, and mayhem. I immediately deployed the National Guard and federal law enforcement to secure the building and expel the intruders. America is and must always be a nation of law and order. The demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol have defiled the seat of American democracy. To those who engaged in the acts of violence and destruction, you do not represent our country. And to those who broke the law, you will pay. We have just been through an intense election, and emotions are high. But now, tempers must be cooled and calm restored. We must get on with the business of America. My campaign vigorously pursued every legal avenue to contest the election results. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. In so doing, I was fighting to defend American democracy. I continue to strongly believe that we must reform our election laws to verify the identity and eligibility of all voters and to ensure faith and confidence in all future elections. Now Congress has certified the results. A new administration will be inaugurated on January 20th. My focus now turns to ensuring a smooth, orderly, and seamless transition of power. President Trump, in a videotaped message moments ago, our White House correspondent Karen Travers, this is as close as we're going to get to a concession. It's certainly the closest we've seen since Election Day. And I think just based on the president's rhetoric since then, this is probably all he will say uh, between now and Inauguration Day on January 20th. Uh, you know, the, the president does not acknowledge Joe Biden as the president-elect. He does say a new administration will be inaugurated because Congress has certified the results. But, Aaron, he also doesn't ever flat out say he lost the election. And, and there's a bit of, you know, rewriting history there, saying that his only goal in his uh, contesting the election and challenging the results and, and endless lawsuits. You know, his team, of course, losing more than 50 cases in court, including two at the Supreme Court. 
he said that his only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. When, you know, the president made it very clear in his statements, in his tweets, that he wanted to overturn the election results. He says the election was stolen from him and that he won. He made that false claim repeatedly since early November. Uh, so to now say, you know, that that was his only goal and to fight and defend democracy, certainly not what he has been saying for recent in recent weeks. I also think the interesting part there, too, he says, my focus now moves to ensure smooth, a smooth and orderly and seamless transition of power, uh, something that he, of course, has not been saying for months. And his own team has not been making that smooth and orderly for the Biden transition team. There have been a lot of roadblocks put up. There have been a lot of hiccups in this process that the Biden officials have told us they're very frustrated by. Uh, the thing, too, Aaron, the big thing to underline is just as to what happened yesterday. Yeah. The president does not take responsibility for that. He said to those engaged in the acts of violence and destruction, you don't represent our country. He says if you broke the law, you will pay, but doesn't say anything acknowledging the role he might have played in this. And that's not me saying that. That's Republican lawmakers are saying he played a big role in this by inciting and egging on that crowd. I also said a cut where he said he called out immediately the National Guard. There's still some questions uh, exactly about that. We're going to get into more of it. I want to bring in Amy Spitalnik from Integrity First for America. This is a group that's actively involved in litigation against those behind the attack in Charlottesville, which prompted Joe Biden to run in the first place. Uh, Amy, the same racist and neo-Nazi imagery on display then was on display at the Capitol yesterday. Can, can we plot yesterday on sort of a continuum of American racism and, and anti-Semitism? Absolutely. And thanks so much for having me. You can really draw a straight line from what happened yesterday at the Capitol back to Charlottesville. And the parallels there aren't just in terms of the racist, anti-Semitic, white supremacist imagery that we saw in both cases, but also the tools and the tactics that they used, and even in some cases, the individual players. We know that one of the neo-Nazi defendants in our Charlottesville suit was one of the lead cheerleaders inciting people to violence on his hate site yesterday. We know that a number of the Charlottesville attendees were photographed in Nancy Pelosi's office yesterday. Um, and so there's a straight line that runs from Charlottesville to the attack on the Capitol. And so much of it illustrates just how central white supremacy and, it, and bigotry is to this far-right extremist movement that has grown in recent months. So this was not just a, a random bunch of rioters. This was something more sinister? Just like with Charlottesville, it appears that what happened yesterday was planned in explicit detail online. Um, there have been a number of news reports since the events that have shown how on forums like the Donald, on extremist sites like Telegram, and even on more mainstream sites like Facebook, these extremists, were explicit about what they planned to do. They said they planned to storm the Capitol and violently attack lawmakers. And if you look back at what happened in Charlottesville three and a half years ago, it was the same exact tactic. On social media sites in July of 2017, they had explicit discussion of going to Charlottesville and hitting protesters with cars. And a month later, that's precisely what they did. And it's those social media chats that are the basis of our lawsuit as we seek to hold accountable those responsible for that violence. And so when you when these extremists say that what they're going to do, we need to take it at face value. We need to believe them. Uh, Amy Spitalnik with Integrity First for America, the group's lawsuit 
against those behind the attack in Charlottesville is headed to trial this spring. Uh, Amy, it's good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for joining us. And I want to turn back to Leah wright Rigger from Harvard University, an ABC News contributor, uh, because a- as she said, I- if this is all telegraphed, it, it does make the-, the law enforcement failures all the more alarming. Certainly. And I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that it's not simply that it's, it's been telegraphed. It's that it's been broadcast not just for weeks, although certainly there have been, you know, things bubbling for weeks. We can just look back at, say, the the, uh, plot against the governor of Michigan. But it's been bubbling for months, if not years, if not decades, right? This has been in the making for a very, very long time. And we've seen these incidents over and over again. We also know we also know that uh, we also know that the Capitol Police had uh, had information on this. And so when we talk about, you know, the failures of democracy and the holders of democracy, we also have to highlight the way in which, say, in this case, the police failed in a number of important ways. Dr. Leah wright Rigger is a Harvard University professor and an ABC News contributor. The fallout from the chaos has come fast. Tonight, President Trump has condemned the violence, something he declined to do the night of. He has also effectively conceded the race to President-elect Joe Biden and a U.S. Capitol Police Chief. Steve Sund has resigned effective January 16th. ABC News law enforcement contributor Don Mahalik, formerly of the U.S. Secret Service, joins us. Did he have to go? Don, was this inevitable? Based upon what we're seeing from the failures of intelligence to the failures of planning, the, you know, there have to be people held accountable. And the people that are held accountable are the leadership of the organization. So I wouldn't be surprised to see more resignations coming down the pike from law enforcement leaders up on Capitol Hill. We heard today from the rank and file, the the officers who were there, and 50 of them were injured during this this melee. And we've seen these harrowing images of of officers having to retreat as the angry mob advanced toward them. Um, What went wrong there? Well, clearly there was a failure to plan. And there was a failure of intelligence. The intelligence usually drives operations. And from what we're hearing, there was plenty of intelligence to indicate that this protest could turn violent. So it seemed to me like whatever plan that they had, and we still don't know what the plan is, but whatever plan that they had did not take into account the level of violence that would occur from these protests. So that is, I think, where we need to find the answers. And, and, and the the head scratcher still for many is is how could they fail to plan, given how they planned just a few months ago during the summer? Well, during the summer, I think you saw a different dynamic with the protests, and depending on the day of the protest was depending on the footprint you saw. I think you saw early on in the summer that. The, the, the footprint of law enforcement was much more relaxed, and then attacks started occurring across the country during the protests because the protests were co-opted by radical groups. And then you saw law enforcement take a much more aggressive posture. I think what we saw yesterday was a plan where law enforcement was trying to figure out the right posture and um, clearly didn't get it right uh, when they were planning their operation. Mm. You know, and, and you bring up a a, a good point there, Don. Just that, that that you know the 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 attacks were are uh, on, on the police officers. We're we're here from 
uh, supporters of, of a president listening to, to a president's rhetoric, uh, that's just different than, than what we've seen. Violence is violence, and attacks on law enforcement, no matter where they come from, are wrong. And they should never be con- condoned, supported, or instigated. And ultimately, the individuals involved in this violent protest yesterday are the ones that bear the prime responsibility for the attacks on the law enforcement officers. And I hopefully think we'll see a rapid arrest of all of these individuals that violated the Capitol building, that attacked the law enforcement officers, and then brought to justice. It was absolutely disgraceful what occurred yesterday. It was disgraceful now that every protest, as the Chicago police chief said over the summer, has to be viewed through the lens of being violent mm. versus being something that would be, uh, you know, nonviolent. And, and tolerated, and if not encouraged, at the people's house, at what is ordinarily an open complex. Right. I mean, the, the, the U.S. Congress, Capitol Hill is open access. It's permissive. It's, you know, you can go there and meet your congressmen and meet your senators and, and you know, rub shoulders with, with the, the most powerful and elite in the Congress. Now, I think the Capitol Police are faced with a dilemma of how do we adjust our security plan in order to compensate for an impromptu stoke of violence that will come from a group that shows up whose goal is not to just you know, affect political change. They want to affect, you know, destructive change. It's going to be very stark change on the security profile that the Capitol Police are going to have to undertake to do that. And what it's also going to do, it's going to put some distance between the congressional members and the public, which is the last thing I think the public wants and the last thing the congressional members want. Don Mahalik, formerly of the U.S. Secret Service and ABC News law enforcement contributor. want to get quickly to Steve Roberts, our political analyst, uh, because so many are holding the president responsible. There's calls for his resignation. There's talk of the 25th Amendment or impeachment. Is any of this going anywhere? No, but uh, it's not nearly enough time to, to force President Trump out of office. But the fact that so many people are talking about this, including a lot of Republicans, reflects this basic change in the political landscape in just 48 hours. Donald Trump has gone from the most powerful figure in the country to one who is reviled by a lot of Republicans, and um, that's a major change here. I want to get some final thoughts on these extraordinary hours. First, from ABC News contributor Dr. Leah wright So I think the important thing to think about here is getting through the next roughly 13 days, so getting to inauguration. And from there, we can begin to proceed. But also keeping in mind that the next 13 days are going to be essentially traumatic. I don't think we've seen the end of both the kind of violent protests and violent rioting um, and, and insurrection that we saw yesterday. And we certainly haven't seen the end of the kind of violent rhetoric that Donald Trump has really built his presidency around. So I would be very cautious around that. I would be very alarmed about that. But I would also encourage people to be vigilant in thinking that this is the beginning of a next chapter. And it's time for the country to move on. And we really do have an opportunity, particularly with the transfer, the electoral transformations that have happened in the last couple couple of weeks. Dr. Wright-Rigur, thanks very much. ABC News White House correspondent Karen Travers now.
Aaron, you know, the president will not be the president in two weeks. Uh, there will be a transition to the Biden administration. And I think the question will be, does this video tonight that the president put out where he you know, doesn't take responsibility for what happened yesterday, but uh, issued a call for healing and reconciliation. Now, that might be very hollow to millions of Americans, but that might be just enough to calm some of the anger on Capitol Hill, uh, you know, which has been growing since yesterday. A lot of Republicans very mad at what the president said and did yesterday and what he did not do. But this video could be something that they point to to say, well, he at least was saying, let's move on. He is condemning the violence uh, and is saying that calm should be restored. It just might give some people some cover so that the uh, frantic, urgent headlines of removing the president from office uh, takes a bit of a backseat. And we'll see if they subside. ABC's Karen Travers. And last word to Steve Roberts, our political analyst. Steve. The, the political landscape has changed profoundly in two ways in the last 48 hours. One is that the Democrats, by winning the two seats in Georgia, now will control the Senate for at least two years under Joe Biden. That changes the whole nature of the Biden presidency, particularly in his ability to fill federal judgeships and uh, move his program forward. Secondly, uh, Donald Trump ends his presidency with the indelible image of uh, rioters and, and, and insurrectionists mobbing the Capitol. That is the single most important image of his presidency, and it's going to diminish significantly his political clout going forward, and I think significantly ends the possibility of him running again, Aaron. ABC News political analyst Steve Roberts at the end of an extraordinary and, and still a moment we are all processing together. Thanks to them. Thanks all of you for joining us. I'm Aaron Katursky, and you've been listening to a special presentation from ABC News. When breaking news changes the world, ABC News, accurate, credible, and unmatched. On Twitter, at ABC News Radio. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.